All right, Zig coming in on the top ten. On the show we have Regis McDonald, a duo band made of two cousins, Sam Regis and Matt McDonald. Um, the band's music has been described as kraut rock, psych, baroque pop, and I think it lives up to it. These guys have a very unique sound, and uh, the, their record takes on like a modernist composer twist to like pop, sh- punk rock. I don't know. It's a really cool record. November tenth. Hall of Fame Cities, the new record, comes out on all the streaming platforms. Um, before we get into listening to a track from the record, uh, right, this you guys are probably like, well, this isn't a normal Zig at the gig drop time. This is a different time for the episode to come out. And you're right. Um, this week, or the next coming weeks, the week of November 8th through the 13th, I'm running a benefit um, called Knitting for the NICU, a benefit for Amy Baker. It's a week-long concert series, in-person and streamed on Facebook Live, featuring 21 acts, and I think there's going to be seven more live artists, painters to join. I haven't got the confirmation yet, but it's a lot of artists coming together to help one family in need. And my friend Amy from work, and as we get into this conversation, um, Sam and Matt are both teachers. And a, a fellow teacher of mine, she had some pregnancy complications and had to induce early labor, and her baby's in the NICU. So we're doing a fundraiser to help her. Um, 90% of everything we raise is going to go to help her. 10% is going to go to help make these things called Hope Hearts. Um, so Amy's a, a avid crocheter, so we wanted to incorporate her interests as well. So she came up with this pattern for these little hearts, and they're called Hope Hearts. And the idea is... One heart stays with the baby in the NICU, and the other stays with the parent. So that way, when they can't be there, especially during times like now where COVID and restrictions are put on and you can't be there as much as you want to be, the two can always stay connected. So we're taking 10% of everything we make to get funds or to put towards supplies to make these hope hearts. We're also collecting knitted um, boots, uh, hats, and blankets, crocheted as well. Um, Yeah, and that's all linked below. In the, we're going to be streaming from the 8th till the 13th, and it's going through five different venues, and it's also in person too. So if you want to help out, you want to go see a show on a weeknight, it's going to help a family you need. But even if you can just share the event, spreading the word is beyond more helpful than you think. And anything's going to be greatly appreciated, and it's going to go to a family that's in need. Um, so now, with that being said, we're going to get back to our guest November 10th. Hall of Fame Cities, the new record. We're going to listen to a track off it. Parties. Oh, we 
That's one song, Regis McDonald. Um, November 10th, the whole album comes out on all streaming platforms. Um, yeah, right? What a trip. There's like nine different movements in that. Maybe not the exact number, but there's a lot of movements in that. It's really cool stuff, friends. So I highly recommend you check out the album when it comes out. We're going to jump into the conversation, but before we do that, if you can like, rate, subscribe, review the podcast and all the podcast platforms and maybe follow us on the YouTubes and other social medias. It really helps me keep talking to cool people and sharing those insights with you. And now without further ado, here's my conversation with Matt and Sam. Yeah, it seems cool. And I, I just saw you had Victor Wooten on. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's sick. It was super sick. He's someone like that, that book. Have you read the music lesson? Not yet. Not yet. I, yeah. I'm definitely like a big fan of Victor Wooten's like approach to music theory and music teaching. So I'm interested. 
definitely got to it. That I read that going into a into college for music, and it was kind of like the best and worst time to read that book because it's kind of like the mindset thing that gets broken after you could do all the discipline. You should do that first, and then break down, <laughs> then yeah. break down the discipline. You can't go full Jackson Pollock, uh, you know. Well, you coloring. can too, depending. Sometimes it works out when you. <laughs> But um, uh, so you guys are uh, to jump into it. Um, you guys were and or are both teachers. Were, were yeah. Were. It's 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 funny. We had an interview last week, and that was also the first question. Um, I kind of forgot that was part of our byline. Yeah, I was a uh, a graduate instructor last year. Okay. And then Matt, and then I was a Latin teacher at a high school. Uh, Two years ago, um, I'm such. I've been in law school the last two years. And yeah, and I, I have, I have a media analyst job. So yeah, we've, we've, we've changed it up a little bit. <laughs> That's cool. Was it? Uh, I teach. I teach music at a charter school, which is why I found that interesting. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. we'll just have a teachers band. Here we go, kids. Let me tell you about <laughs> them. You all that learning. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But uh, before unionize it. <laughs> <laughs> before getting into that what i mean as it's interesting because i've also interviewed another band that was cousin cousin grown um now growing up like musically let's kind of go one at a time when did music affect both of you and when did that become a mode of expression and then when did the kind of crossing point happen so uh let's start with sam cool yeah so i uh I don't really ever remember it not being, you know, a, a, a really huge force in my life. My father uh, is a huge music fan and played guitar and a, kind of a cool, uh, they sort of did like uh, rockabilly meets punk, um, just really cool covers in the Canton area. I would have been about eight or nine, I think, when he started doing that. And that felt like about the time I started really getting interested in playing guitar, which was probably... Yeah, about fourth grade or so. Um, and then Matt and I, I, you know, I'll let him take it away here. We, I feel like pretty much right away, even maybe before we were playing instruments, would, like, write these little stupid songs. And, you know, we were huge, like, Beatles fans, even as kids. So I think, I think it was always uh, a, pretty, a pretty central presence and really a central element of, um, you know, our friendship, our, our being together. Yeah. I mean, as far as like my experience goes, uh, I, the first thing I really remember being into was like being four or five years old in the Backstreet Boys and like kind of coming to the like knowledge of like, oh man, there's like the stuff like music that can make you dance and make you groove. And then a couple of years after that, like learning about the Beatles kind of took a hold of me in itself. I think like Sam and I kind of both became enamored by the Beatles or by the time we're like seven or eight and really um, I was fortunate enough to see Paul McCartney like when I was nine years old um, and that kind of really changed my life and said like this is a direction I want to go I want to perform music I want to play bass I want to make music and we said those are the only two influences we need you know, <laughs> yeah even today the Beatles and the Backstreet Boys <laughs> We, we never got past the Bs. We were looking through the alphabetical dictionary of bands. <laughs> Once you get into the Cs, it gets crazy. So, <laughs> Well, I mean, you just with even just looking at what the Beatles did musically, because like, what I find interesting about what you guys are doing now, it's not just like, it's kind of all over the place. Like when you sent me the demo, I was like, or you sent me the, the new single, and then I, mm -hmm. I went and listened to the, the first album. Like, yeah it's all over the place and like in a really cool way. And you know, so I could peg Beatles being an influence, but also I get like a Radiohead vibe. I get like a really unique kind of, um, Jack White kind of approach to the vocals. I don't know. I hear bits of everything in it. And, uh, sure. In some kind of like a modern, uh, like uh, composition in it as well. You know, not as like straightforward because like it blends everything in. It's almost like at least the first album is almost like one moving piece. So, but that's also very Beatles esque too. You know, like the Beatles, like they had a lot of through line mm -hmm. um, uh, uh, compositions in some of their stuff. 
uh, at least with like what's uh why can't Abbey Road? Abbey um, Road, sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, like there's some reoccurring motifs, uh-huh. like. But uh, so I, you know, that's a solid. You can most people <laughs> get into the Beatles, get into the Beatles for life. <laughs> you know, they're yeah. stuck right <laughs> in that. But um, yeah. Uh, so so it kind of seemed like it struck you individually, and you guys are both doing your own projects, right? Like uh, there was a I found it like what was the name of it? Um, the Big Sweet. Yeah, I wasn't able to yeah. like dive into musically the Big Sweet or the the Rockwell Family Dinner, but I got questions. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so we uh, Big Sweet. Yeah, we were. Yeah, go go for it, man. Yeah, Big Sweet was the band we formed. Uh, Really, in our freshman year of high school, um, it was us, uh, one of Sam's friends growing up, uh, Brad Berry, and then another kid from their town uh, named Drew Watson. Um, and that was, yeah, our high school band for about four or five years. Into yeah, second longer, even, yeah. Yeah, five years, six years maybe even. Yeah. And that was a... Was yeah, that... and then the next... Go on, sorry. No, no, it was... A... So... When you guys start, who how'd that start? Who brought what up? Who was playing what? Like, what was some of the the kind of building blocks? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, go for it, Matt. Oh yeah, no, uh, yeah. I was gonna. I mean, so I started on bass and Sam started on guitar. Um, so we never had that like awkward debate of like who's gonna start playing bass. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think that a lot of bands have. I was always like, I like this instrument. I want to play this instrument. Uh, so we've been playing together, and then you can kind of introduce how Brad got in. Ball. Yeah, and he uh, he was on my baseball team at the time, and uh, I don't know. We might have mutually had the realization that we were like five foot in eighth grade, and that sports were not going to be our our main bag. So uh, yeah, he got he got really good at guitar quickly, and uh, Drew was a phenomenal. Uh, drummer which we got really lucky at the time so we um like i said i mean even i think even when matt and i were really pretty pretty young before we could even play instruments well i think we always wanted to write you know and um kind of compose and like talk over song ideas I, that, that always is sort of like the fun part so I, I feel like really out of the gate we had we had a lot of songs honestly and um you know, the first ones aren't that great. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think I would go back and listen to them a whole lot now. But um, I, I will say I think we got, you know, better as we went. And uh, especially once we started hooking up with uh, Wes McCraw, who still has a studio in Norton, Ohio, Creekside Audio. Um, and he actually mastered this, this recent record of ours, Hall of Fame Cities. Um, I feel like that's when we really started um, – to explore a lot more ideas, you know, um, kind of using the, the studio as an instrument cliche, uh, you know, overdubbing that, that kind of thing. I think that's at least for me, that's always really excited me about music. There, there are a lot of elements and I love playing live and stuff, but I feel like that really is my kind of, uh, my sweet spot. And that, that's something I think, uh, yeah, really, really also improved our, our writing then and, and does now, hopefully. Now, to kind of stay on that and kind of compare it to now. So, uh, pun intended with the sweet spot. Um, now, like mm-hmm. looking at like that, do you do you hear where these songs are going to go, or is it kind of the process of doing it? Because I personally, like, I hear vaguely like ghost notes of the harmonies I want and the the instrumentation. Mm-hmm. I don't exactly know what I want um, the like the banjo to do, but I want a banjo in there. And if I'm not going to play mm-hmm. it and I have a friend fill in and do it, like I don't, I don't exactly know note for note what I want that uh, that part to sound like, but I know the like the pretty much the essence of it being there. So when it comes to like when you're composing using the studio as an instrument to bring um, these songs to like the next level or like have that next uh, um, I don't know layer of shadowing to bring out the picture do you for you do you hear the whole thing and know exactly what it's supposed to be or is it kind of ex uh, experimenting trying to figure it out uh i mean <laughs> i can only speak for my yeah sorry i can only speak for myself but i think it is a blend of the both i mean that seems like kind of a cop-out answer i mean there's definitely some parts where we'll go in and I'll, or I'll say like, Hey, it would 
what if we added, you know, this melody in here and let's use this instrument. Um, but then there are some times where like, we're like, we should have horns in here. So let's do like a horn patch and like play around and see what sounds good and like fill it out as we go. Yeah. And we were, uh, we were talking about this recently. I think for this record, we, we did kind of change up the approach a little bit where there was a lot of, um, there was a lot of firm song ideas going in. And, you know, I think that was, um, you know, on the money when he said the last record, you know, I think we did try to make it sort of feel like one piece. And I, I think we really try to make this one all, all the more one piece. Um, so there were definitely ideas and signposts about you know, the vibe of how certain sections would blend with one another. I think that's even more apt than songs maybe, but uh, what we did a lot was uh, some improvisational, you know, jamming and trying out eight, nine kind of keyboard parts um, and then really going through it thereafter and, uh, you know, working with the MIDI notes, thinking up, you know, harmonic combinations. Um, and I, and I feel like there was a lot more uh, of, a, of a, I guess, a methodical element of that, you know, this go around with, you know, there weren't many notes that were left in at the end that I, that were unaccounted for, you know what I mean? For better or for worse. So, um, so yeah, I think that I think that's something we definitely uh, switched up a little bit this go around. Uh, maybe in the first record there might have been a, a little more, uh, you know, just see what gets on tape and leave it there and you know, you know, Godspeed if it's good. <laughs> but well, just, uh, just, but yeah. Sorry, I was gonna say just based off the the one single, like just the intro. I mean, everything fits really. Like I could tell you thought it out. Like I um. While I was prepping for everything, I was showing my buddy at work. I'm like, listen to this. It gets huge, and this builds back down to the song that it's at, which is it's just really cool, and that's really hard to do. You know what I mean? Especially with how you guys layer like uh, how the MIDI instruments and the real instruments, and it blends. So that that aspect of the Beatles, like that like composition, like that is really present. And now that you say that it's the Beatles, because like when I was listening to this, I was trying to like, <laughs> These guys, Radiohead guys, are they, you know what I mean? Like I didn't know, like because it, it vibes everywhere. <laughs> but um, that makes yeah, a lot of might, sense. Might, okay. might even be a little more uh, American Radiohead, Wilco guys. Uh, at least I might be, but but yeah. I do like Radiohead too. No, but yeah, I appreciate. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate the the, the way you describe that build up. I mean, that's definitely I think for that single for the Vane and Leopard, what we wanted. I think when we try to go for Throtter record is built up to very massive, loud, bombastic highs, and then cutting into cutting into the quieter parts and right. going back and forth and, you know, going between the drastic changes and also not totally relying on that go into some more subtle buildups. Um, yeah. One of the, uh, one of the tricks that I've always really liked um, from a production standpoint like I know, I'm trying to think of a good example. I don't know if you're um, a big fan of Spoon or not, but I know they do this quite a bit. Um, it's kind of the the crescending sort of like note yeah. that kind of like builds up and then it cuts a lot. Um, I think that I think that's something that the more we and um, I, when I was sort of producing it thereafter, mixing it thereafter, I think I think that was a trick we really liked and. Um, on on that single, it, it definitely comes up a couple times. Was well, I forget who I was talking to? Um, Spoon's an interesting group, interesting band for sure. But that I, I that, yeah. like that build up and that cut off crescendo. It's mm -hmm. over. Not even crescendo. Cut. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, Little Hag. Are you hip to those guys? They're out of New Jersey. No, 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 no. So awesome. I'm talking with them again on cool. a, in, a, in a bit here. But uh, but anywho, um. They were. That's what got me in the spoon. Was they they dropped it somewhere they were into it. So I was like, I gotta hear. I gotta hear who Spoon is. You know. Nice. <laughs> but um, okay. So like, and like going into like learning how to do this. Like it's one thing to write your own music, you know, and like have the idea of how to write a song, but taking it to the production level because you guys are recording this all on your own, right? Mm hmm. So mm -hmm. and even though you're sending it out to be mastered, which is the pro move, <laughs> like especially now with like everything being like, it's one thing, certain things I think are accepted quality wise, but when it comes to like music, you have to be 
of Spotify streamy standard. It sucks. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? But like, there's like that level of how's it gonna sound through everyone's phone. So like, the mastering, sending out to someone to do that, I think it's a clutch move. But learning this process, did you guys go to school for music at all, or did you just play it throughout school? And production wise so, too. No, yeah, no. It all the production is pretty, pretty DIY and. The first, the first record we did toward Boyd and Vistas, this was our second one as um, Regis McDonald. Uh, you know, that was really shooting from the hip, not almost really not knowing how to produce at all and then making a record anyway. But I think we did um, learn a lot and try to get a little bit more quote unquote hi-fi this go around, even though it was recorded on our own. But no, I didn't go to school for any... Uh, um, you know, music of any kind. I have a sociology uh, graduate degree that I'm not really doing anything with. So, that's... <laughs> well, I you know you know what I mean to be able to hey. <laughs> so much of this angle of this thing you're trying to do is a sociological approach. So knowing you knowing knowing the 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 market you're pitching to and knowing how the knowing that people are the one thing you can't depend on. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you were marketing whizzes as a result. <laughs> That's stunning because, like, how just talking about the like the composition going into it and the fact that you're just like learning it as you go. Like, I'd love the DIY, just do it yourself mentality. It's badass, but like, the the take it to the like complexities that you guys have within your music is surprising to hear in a good way. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I think, um, you know, speaking for myself, I think, I think when we were in the studio a lot even as teens, we didn't really, um, I don't think we really knew <laughs> how he was sort of making the magic happen, but, you know, we were definitely observant. Uh, and I think a lot of that was almost like, uh, you know, kind of like osmosis. Like when you get behind the board, you're like, oh yeah, that was kind of what he was doing there. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think there was a little bit of a, an instinct that, that that certainly helped. Yeah, I mean, even just like watching him, like, from the couch, like sort of do cropping with tracks or like adjusting levels within like the, the sound file, like just kind of picking that stuff up and also things like mic placement, having awareness of background noise. I mean, I think, yeah, yeah I mean, we definitely have to credit Wes a lot with like, just our like basic insight into like how to record a record that definitely influenced like our approach in these last two. Now, like, would he explain stuff? Or... Yeah, School of Hard Knocks. School of Hard Knocks. Rockin'. <laughs> oh, you know, I'm totally kidding. He, he, <laughs> yeah, he was, he's the most, most chill guy on the planet. Um, he, yeah, he was, um, yeah, yeah. Like, would he explain as he's doing stuff like, "Oh, I'm moving this. I gotta, I gotta cut this phase or whatever." Were you guys literally just like watching it and then like, "We gotta do a thing like that." That's when he made that sound sound like this type deal. Hmm. I think we dem- I think we were just bossy, <laughs> and so <laughs> yeah. No, we definitely so think- like. We would tell him like the type of sound we would want, and he would explain to us like ways to get that. So that kind of helped. Uh, I mean, there's definitely like tricks that way that we implemented into our records of just his mm-hmm. advice of like, oh, if we add like if you add like a ton of delay here and then like buzz it out, you can get this noise like this ringing. Like if you had to put it in mm-hmm. like, a context, like. Uh... I'm trying to get like the the helter skelter sound. Like, what's an exam a more specific example well, of that? Yeah, if you can recall. Um, there, uh, the one that I'm thinking of that's like most mind is it's we did it for um. What's the uh, the first song on our on shot of bliss? Uh, uh, dress up your mind. Dress up your mind, and then we. <laughs> And then we used it for Let Rain Your Sunshine Gun, the first song on our album to void, uh, towards Horton Vistas. But it's like we wanted to get this buzzy, like, consistent drone. Mm-hmm. And, like, you know what you should do is just get a bass, pluck out eighth notes and fuzz it out and add a bunch of chorus. Yeah, I always had to fight a lot on reverb, too. So that was our, uh, when we 
when we had all the the control on these records we no one was stopping us so uh yeah yeah i mean that was like direct advice he gave us on like how to make a specific sound that we pretty much jammed literally a decade later Mm -hmm. that's awesome like i don't i don't know it's like one of those like moving removing the veil like oh that's what the pixies do with their bass or whatever i don't know like sure. uh, yeah or even that you know it's kind of actually uh, that was a random example but kind of your dynamic flow is very pixies-esque loud quiet loud type deal which is dope um cool yeah we love the pixies ah, that's sick me too <laughs> one of my favorite bands um but uh with that and like, like the um shit what was i gonna say about that because like it's interesting like did that kind of inform later like at least with this next record um did that inform like how you wrote the songs that you're about to record with that kind of in mind or like after learning some of these tricks of the trade or did it not matter? We're just going to write what we're going to write and make it sound how we need to sound when we track it. I think, I think for this one and as we've recorded more, we've probably been more open to the idea of, yeah, we have a, you know, a general concept of the song and Mm -hmm. of course lyrics and, you know, all that sort of thing. But I think more open to like, um, you know, we don't necessarily know what instruments are going to be in this part, or we don't even know if there should be instruments per se. Maybe it's sound, maybe it's noise, maybe it's, you know, static, what have you. Um, so I think, I think being able to trust ourselves a little bit more in the studio or just almost like, you know, maybe this will be a trumpet part. Maybe this will be a cello part. Maybe this will, you know, um, be a, a sampled part we'll use a tape loop or or whatever but um yeah i think as we've gone we've we've increasingly uh tried to get out of our comfort zone a little bit and yeah, yeah I, I i credit all yeah all all those experiences with with helping it for sure and i think on top of that too i think and this is something that i think is a benefit of when you're recording yourself and not relying on other people and using other people's time is like you're not afraid to leave things on the cutting room floor mm. for sure. Yeah. Definitely. If they don't work, you can try whatever you want. See if it works. If it doesn't, you know, the only person's time you're wasting is yourself. You're not wasting any money in the studio. Um, yeah. That's a, that's very freeing. Not spending uh, <laughs> thousands of dollars at a time necessarily. I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. I like, I almost, uh, I don't know. I come from like both perspectives of it. One, being that, like, it's cool that you guys are, like, to have the partner in crime for this type of thing changes mm-hmm. the game. You know what I mean? Like, to be able to rely on each other and not to the level of just, like, friends, bandmates, but family put together on all that. Like, there's no – wherever Matt goes, Sam, you're going to find him eventually. You know what I mean? Like, you're going to – there's there's not going to be a, a, a break for that long. Or, I don't know, there's, like, this already innate drive to support each other. Which I think, as time you develop as through friendships or through through uh, band relationships, you know, uh, enough time in the van that's going to become your brother, you know. <laughs> but like, <laughs> yeah, to, to like re- on the next level of recording to be able to put up with you trying to nail that harmony for four hours, like I know I personally can't pay my friends nowhere near enough money to put up with me try to track my harmonies, so I have to go <laughs> to a homie to put up with me. But also, like, I'm kind of a – because I've been caught in that mindset for a bit and hearing from both ends of it, both angles of it. And, like, I, I get that sense of freedom and that, uh, like, ability that, like, you're the ultimate decider of it, you know? But sometimes I get so caught in the, like, uh, uh, focusing on the tree, not the forest type deal, like tunnel vision. Sometimes mm-hmm. having that outside person who doesn't really know what I'm going for – I found kind of benefit in some ways. Have you guys kind of ever run into that? Do you ever reach out to Wes and be like, what do we do? I'm stuck with this. Or do you guys kind of like, <laughs> I'm looking at Matt, <laughs> like, but, um, or do you ever like kind of just figure it? Or is it, is it just there with you two? Like, uh, I mean, I can't, we don't, I don't think we really go to other people to see, to sort of like, frame us or like contain us in any way i do think we sort of try to self-judiciate you know how much we actually do that successfully do we ever go too far or 
few ideas that don't work, you know, that's for other people to judge, but probably should judiciate more, honestly. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, (laughs) we do definitely let our sort of wild ideas carry us where they want to go. It will maybe pull each other back a bit for some things, but I do think we try to kind of always push ourselves to chase crazy ideas. Okay. And uh, yeah, I think, you know, yeah, I mean, you're, you're totally right. There are like two schools of thought here. Like one, if you're with strangers or whoever, sometimes that's when I think cool, uh, cool mixtures and mergers can happen that you wouldn't expect. You know, it's, it's unforeseen kind of a thing. Um, uh, Yeah. So I think, I think a big part of, you know, the fact that Matt and I have played so much music together is that, you know, I don't, I don't think there's much fear or much um, nervousness about botching a harmony or botching a part or, um, you know, I think, I think we let it, the ideas, you know, run wild a lot for sure. And I don't think there's a lot of, stage fright around each other that probably just does come with um you know playing music with strangers or even friends but yeah i think you're right there is there is a there is a closeness um that lets you have a little bit more gutsiness i think that makes sense well because you guys would have learned together you know what i mean like you've mm-hmm. seen each other at your worst musically you know what i mean because you've seen where you start and like that's a I don't I don't know that's a, a relation like me and my bass player have been playing together since he's been twelve and I was fifteen, and uh, taking those risks and hitting the hitting the the wrong notes or me pitching a thing and having to be like dude you need to change it that's a horrible impression but you know what I mean like having that person to kind of like shut you down when you're going crazy is a good thing or hype it up you know but also like. Uh, I feel like uh, you guys have been in it longer than we have. So you mean like you just with that family thing? I mean, the album cover, cover I mean, the first record is you two like as babies. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, we were fucked up in that picture. No. Yeah, because we're so <laughs> drunk. I couldn't believe they let those drunk five year olds or whatever on that roller coaster thing. <laughs> At the, at the St. Harlumbus Greek Festival in uh, 1998 or whatever. <laughs> That's awesome. But yeah, yeah. no, you're yeah, you're, yeah, you're right on the money. Um, so when it comes to like writing music, do you guys do you have a practice that do you like as opposed to like a band practice, a personal practice? Like, are you writing every day for a little bit? Are you writing just when inspiration strikes, or uh, what's your kind of process on that? Like. Because I, I personally have been trying to develop a every-other-day routine, just write whatever happens, record it, done, just stay in that creative flow and try to be actively mining for lyric or musical nuggets. Mm. Um, and it's hit or miss. Some weeks are better than not. But uh, do you guys have an, a, like a creative like kind of outlet practice routine for yourselves? Nothing that for I, at least for myself, I don't have anything that formulaic. I usually yeah. like every day make sort of like sit at the piano and just sort of like noodle about with things, like come up with like bit ideas that seem interesting. And if like I have something, I'll record it and like send it to Sam or show it to him like at the next practice. Yeah, and from this last record, uh, all these songs were written while I was still living in Bloomington, Indiana. Um, so it was a lot of sharing little bits and pieces back and forth, you know, like, Hey, I think, you know, I think there might be something to this melody, that kind of thing. And, you know, I, I think some of the, I think some of the really better stuff on the record, uh, the stuff that excites me the most is a lot of those, a lot of the, yeah, that was, I came up lyric that I came up with and, you know, this is a little like that came up with, and this is how it kind of came together. And um, yeah, so there, I don't know if I would want to keep remotely writing and recording, but in a weird way, I think it did kind of let each of us isolate little pockets of ideas. And I think when they came together, it was, uh, it was kind of cool. I think it was kind of unique. That's cool. 
I think like that's almost like a because like a, that's kind of with at least the with my group that's a that's why I'll write like a the verse chorus verse chorus whatever and all the parts and bring it and then have the have the homies help assemble it or you know have like the, they'll point out like that's not working we gotta move this or on the that do that you know what I mean like really helps fine tune it if you kind of come with a chunk that kind of like a, a chunk of marble and the homies help scalp you know get rid of what you don't need mm-hmm. i find that that personally works really well but as a, in a group like that i've never done like what you're doing when you send it to each other like so that's an almost more like um every time you do that if you're passing this thing back and forth or building upon it you know like if you send him and i matt sam if you send matt an idea i know i can't I gotta think audially, like for someone. If I start pointing, it doesn't make sense. But if Sam, you send something to Matt, and he sends it back, but all like pounded up or like layered or like there's a bunch of sweet static, which would be a sweet static. noise band, sweet static. <laughs> sweet static, <laughs> exactly. That could be our if we get teaching jobs again. That'll be our teaching band. <laughs> yeah. There we go. A bunch of teachers making noise music. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it, it's gonna be the, the school of rock people. No one wants to watch or listen to. <laughs> yeah, it won't. It won't start Jack Black. It'll be like the inverse of it. It'll be like Jack White. Yeah, Jack White. <laughs> It'll be Jack White. But if he, oh, that'd be a sick movie. Yeah, I kind of <laughs> want to see that movie now. I'd love to see that movie. Yeah, yeah. Sort of anger problem. He doesn't oh, help all... out the kids. He just makes fun <laughs> of him or something. Like, it's the complete inverse. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, let's, let's kind of boil cool. it down. One thing I was interested in, <laughs> when it went from Regis to McDonald, just the last names, like, what? at what point did you guys just, like, say, whatever? We're just using the names at this point. Uh, that was, I mean... I think we had recorded pretty much the full record um, towards when this says, and we're trying to figure out what, like what our game would be. And we're tossing around some ideas, like, I don't know, saying like we are cousins in like a different language or something like that. Yeah. But nothing like really sounded that great. And I think we just said, you know, at this point we're not trying to be anything other than like, this is who we are, and this is music we want to release. So let's just call it Regis McDonald. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, who was the the songwriting duo, Matt? In the fifth, was it Lieber and Stoller? Is that Lieber Stoller? Mm. Like, wrote all like. I you know I always wonder if the if it's like a lack of like there's nothing. And it kind of sounds like it was that a little bit. There's nothing that sounds good. Might as well just stick with who we are. <laughs> like. Mm-hmm. Um. So like when it comes to like doing yeah this... yeah the the Latin thing I, I, it wasn't wasn't doing it yeah like when it when it comes to well man Latin things interesting I got teaching Latin <laughs> can I dive into that well on the on the on the concept of kind of like going in some Victor Wootenisms like uh, when you pick up that book I think being a language teacher you're gonna see a lot of similarities with probably your own like mental processes for being able to explain things because like he approached and it sounds like you've kind of dove into some Wootenisms already um, but like the idea of music being a language and being able to express it and convey yourself like that have you found through teaching language that there's like was there any bits that help you learn music that's an interesting question. Um, I wouldn't say I, w- I don't want to say no entirely. It's I think they. I mean, because it is like a similar linguistic pursuit. Um, I mean, obviously, like the way that you're listening for to communicate in music, I think is a lot different than in language. Um, but I think at least like what I would say is that like a knowledge of language and like studying language and like knowing that like grammar is kind of like constructed plays a lot into like your interest in like music. Like I think Victor Wooten, the go to Wootenisms, you know, he has that great quote that like any wrong note is just one note away from a correct note. Um, 
so I mean, like, I think a similar approach between like language and music is that in that same aspect that like awareness that there's sort of a bit of artificialness and that any sort of error you make can easily be rectified with just a little shift. Um, that makes sense. Yeah. I'm picking up like, or even like the idea of like, um, grammar supplying like some type of uh, parameter of what you're being said should be said in these, like you can't have a run on sentence, you know, if, if you don't, if you don't put a, uh, comma for you or and but or whatever you mean like some grammatical like corrections there it doesn't make sense what you're trying to convey and like so that kind of puts this structure so what you're being conveyed is more clear but also there's kind of like this this structure like that gives that brain that like there's the canvas that's what i'm looking at type deal like it, yeah grammatically is there like do you find like kind of like learning grammar in other languages and finding that kind of structure and context for a thing like makes there's almost comfort with like context and structure like your brain knows what it's looking at how to analyze it what exact where it's at like from i've never really studied another language other than a little bit of sign language but like being able to like understand the context and structure like of something like music where you really analyze like here's where it moves to the next piece, here's the whole thing as a concept, like, with, like, a little bit of language uh, knowledge under uh, under the belt, did that, like, kind of help? Or was it, is it just, like, an interesting thought? Um, no, I think it's an interesting thought. I, I wouldn't, I don't know if I would go, like, that far into, like, being aware of structures, but I do think, like, to your point, like, you mentioned, like, run-on sentences, right? Mm -hmm. And you're taught grammatically that they're inappropriate, and there's some, like, you know, nine times out of ten, someone uses a run-on sentence. It just sounds awkward and clunky. Right. But, you know, there are times where breaking those rules um, and, you know, has a good effect that you want to try to communicate. And I think mm -hmm. in that sense, like, that awareness that, like, these rules and systems, like, they may help with a certain flow. Um, you know, if you're looking musically, right, you have your scales and stuff. Um, that's kind of like a grammatical set. Um, it's kind of a bad analogy, but similar enough. But yeah, right. our music, we're trying to make it sound like Finnegan's Wake, where there's just no <laughs> grammar at all. And it's just, that's, you yeah, know. I think that's an apt analogy. <laughs> so that's well, what you guys yeah. meant by the burns <laughs> on the first record. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, but okay, well, okay, I'm I was kind of picking up what you're stepping in, like the the kind of there's a limitation of what you're using, so that kind of forces that creativity, but also supplies that like comfort within that structure because it's limited in the sense of what you can do, and then yeah, I mean not not limited in the sense of it's a limited recording or not spaced or you know clunky to other people's perspectives, but like the idea that like. There's only so many colors to put on this painting. I mean, you could pollock it to quote ourselves from the beginning, but uh, you know, still, you only it's only the paints that you have around. So, like, I don't know. I, it's just interesting because I'd like, um, I think like the idea of like, um, even just how you pointed out, like, saying like when you read a sentence out loud to check your grammar, right, or check what you wrote pre uh, um, edit yourself, like musically, you kind of already do that. Like, there's the, the context of the progression, and your melody is either going to fit that context, doesn't matter what meter you're in, you know what I mean? Like, or it won't. And sometimes that's great, because if it doesn't stick in, it sticks out, and it's heard louder for exactly. being wrong, but it's not, you know? I don't know, like, um, but uh, I never thought of it before, like, uh, with uh, the idea of, like, uh, kind of editing yourself or reading out loud, like you, like you said, with a run-on sentence, always sounding wrong. So we kind of auto-correct ourselves to make it sound right when we're when we're communicating, and like uh, putting the context of writing. Sometimes that doesn't happen, but musically, I think it does because like it wouldn't sound right when you tracked it, at least to you, you know. Um, but anyway, about the burns, <laughs> can you explain <laughs> me the burns? <laughs> So uh, the sensor burns that the we're talking about? Burns, the, yeah, the yeah. From the first record. There, there <laughs> you go. The I knew you were talking tracks. about. Yeah, I knew you were talking about uh, Mr. Burns. Um, no, I meant the sideburns. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
<laughs> um, yeah, what I, I'm trying to think how we had a loose. It's funny because neither of us are really, um, you know, especially religious exactly, but there, you know, I think maybe some of the stuff I was reading at the time, um, some of the imagery and certainly a lot of the, the rituals, you know, the, the concept there of like a durable kind of a thing. Um, it felt kind of, uh, you know, intense, cool. And, um, I don't know the, the music, I felt crackly cause it was recorded like shit. So I, you know, I think the, the burning concept, the, uh, the fire thing, um, you know, I think at the time I had like a, like a, I don't even know what it was called, but it was like a Zen Buddhist kind of bell that we were sort of hitting in the beginning of that yeah. song. Okay. Yeah. I definitely um, heard that. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So it was, uh, yeah, it sort of all felt thematically, um, linked. Yeah. I, th- I mean, just, I think we kind of wanted something that was, yeah, like Sam said, intense kind of monastic feeling ritualistic. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I think, I think my pitch at the time was like, uh, it's St. Augustine was, was on uppers or something. Maybe this would be the, uh, you know, the musical <laughs> equation of that. That's awesome. Is there, um, kind of finding like, I don't know, I'm fascinated with like random string instruments, like any weird, like an uru or like a, or a balalaika or a any of these weird yeah. uh, um, bazooki, just weird stringed instruments that like, there's no real difference to the approach of playing it, but there's a different tuning and tone that comes from mm-hmm. it. Um, so when you guys are, when you're kind of compiling infinite, is there's like bits that stick out? Like you're like, Oh, this Buddha bell is going to be dope or like whatever. Is there like a, a like a, a certain type of instrument that appeals to you? I'll I'll answer off, off uh, like random weird the, weird the things. bazooki talk. Yeah, um, all right. You play bazooki? Yeah. No way. <laughs> I don't. It, oh. it would make my Greek uh, grandfather very proud if I did. <laughs> um, but it we do sample or you know use MIDI okay. kind of impersonations of a lot of those instruments. I I do really like the octave approach. Like I know um uh like for instance a lot of the stuff that. I think it sounds so cool on like those old Phil Spector records. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of those pianos that are like four octaves layered on each other, you know? Right. Um, I, that's basically what a bazooki is doing. It's what a 12 string guitar is doing or, yeah. uh, you know, anything like that. So I, I think there is a droniness there. It's sort of I think hypnotic. Um, but yeah, definitely the, the 12 string bazooki kind of, um, multiple string octaves on top of each other. That's, that's, that's definitely like, you know, uh, okay. not even a guilty pleasure. There's no guilt involved. It's a pleasure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's easy to build a wall of sound when you're just doubling every note you play. Right. Well, that makes, you know, because like anything else kind of implies something else. You know, if it's not just kind of layered octavely or like even fourth, but fifths are, I think, all right. Like, as far as, like, implying a tonality or, like, a, a, a more than just, like, a kind of drone, like, anything else I feel like adds that major minor thing, which is going to kind of affect the whole complexion of what comes after. So, like, that's mm-hmm. interesting. Okay. Because, like, um, I don't yeah. know, like, I, also I kind of got Velvet Underground, too, with the, like, droniness and, like, the, I don't know if you guys dig into that, like, but. um. Oh, yeah. Um, totally. Yeah. Very big. Yeah. I mean, I would say, I mean, Velvet Around, obviously, Lou Reed, and then really uh, John Cale's, especially Paris 1919, is probably one of our biggest influences as far as like records. Totally. Okay. Yeah. Chelsea Girl, I would say that's a record I love. Yeah. Especially those. um, Yeah. I mean, yeah, they're the best, man. They're, I think they're so cool in the sense of like, I mean, this is nothing original, but. I think they get a lot of love for their uh, their weirdness and their aggressiveness, and that's like also definitely an influence. But um, yeah, especially like Paris 1919, Chelsea Girl, a lot of Lou Reed stuff is like also the prettiness of it too. Like you know, like Femme Fatale is a totally gorgeous song. You know, I mean, Sunday yeah. Morning, yeah, right. Sunday. all those all those songs. Wise, are yeah, I mean, the second Velvet Underground, I think, is 
really like the kind of quiet, almost dreamy like songs are the highlight of a lot of their catalog. Yeah, and I think I think def- definitely like um, I mean they're they're one of those bands that's so great because they have so many different things that make them great. You know, all the things we just said, but then also you know, like Sister Ray, it's just like one chord progression that that just completely falls apart by the end. And I, yeah, they're they're uh, they're the goats. They're the best. That's awesome. <laughs> no, like I, I agree with that. And like, what's interesting is they kind of have like modernist composers like uh um john what's his name kale john kale uh john cage john, or john no not john cage, cage yeah. but in in velvet underground um john oh cale. john kale yeah 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 he like john was, kale was very influenced by john cage though it right. is a, yeah. a strange yeah yeah he like studied under the modernist like kind of composition approaches mm-hmm. and had his own like like a really interesting stuff so like but you know like and I know maybe I'm sure like a lot of interviews, like, I, I mean, there are a lot of interviews where people are trying to, it seems like trying to tag a band to a thing they know so they feel comfortable about liking this sure. thing. But I think it's really cool to like kind of wear your influences on your sleeve. Like we wear band shirts, we show who we like and like yeah. there's no, no one's out like Nirvana, you know, and they're like, why do you like that? You know, <laughs> maybe there's some people, but like, uh, you know, there's this kind of like, yeah, I like this. This is what I'm into. This is part of me. Like physically, I'm wearing a shirt with a band on it. This is physically part of me. And I think musically, it's the same. But a lot of times, like bands kind of shy away from that and don't really want to kind of like talk about who they're influenced by, and like kind of want to come off like. Not that I'm saying I got this impression from you guys at all, but um, <laughs> you, like don't want to share their influences as much. But I also think I think it's important that if you dig someone and they've moved you to make music in any way, you kind of got to share that and celebrate that. So whoever's into you dives into them as well. And like it keeps that, that thing going as well as being yourself. And like, I'm not, I'm not putting that on any of you guys, but so that's why I got all excited. I'm like, Oh, the velvet underground. I don't mean to just keep throwing things I hear out of, out of you guys, but I'm also like keep remembering what I wrote down, you know? <laughs> oh yeah. No, I mean, I love we, it. we'll talk about the velvet underground all day. <laughs> Yeah, they got a great. Yeah, go on. Sorry. I mean, I think to your point, I I do think we try to like wear influences on our sleeve a lot. I think there's definitely a few very significant artists like between Velvet, Beatles. You mentioned throwing Brian Eno in there that like we will mention a lot because in a lot of ways we hope that what we're doing is an obvious continuation of like some sort of like musical growth. I mean. Right. I think, you know, Sam's a sociologist, I study classics. I think we both have like an awareness of like the importance of like growth of culture and leaning into that, you know, the continuation of pursuit, pursuit of art. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. And they're, uh, you know, it's like the old, there's nothing new under the sun. I don't think the point of it is to try to like, you know, like no one's going to come up with music that just came out of the ether. Like it's going to, it's going to come from something. Right. You know, and, um, and yeah. And, and like I said, I think a, a lot of those bands or artists, Matt named, I, there's so many things and phases about them that, you know, they evolved and they really changed. And I think that's, um, you know, that's, that's the best inspiration. You want to keep doing something different. Cause you know, uh, other people have done it before and they've done it. They've done it great. So Right. Well, also, you know, I guess like the compared to language, kind of like we were talking about before, if you made up your own language, no one would want to hear you talk because they have no clue <laughs> what you're saying. Totally. <laughs> like, That's a good analogy. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you need to at least have some level ground. Uh, <laughs> Though uh, maybe Tolkien would disagree with you. Right, right. But <laughs> <laughs> well, he wrote it in English. <laughs> at least a good chunk of it. Like, <laughs> He built the story around it. That shit is fascinating. Like diving into Tolkien's world. <laughs> like a buddy of mine, they're really into like this. There's this Token podcast, and like they go through um, what's the book that kind of just has the his whole realm written out? Um, it's neither. I'm the actually. Are you reading? I'm actually not very familiar oh, okay. with Tolkien to be honest. I, Star Wars. Star Wars. The <laughs> the Emperor Returns. Like I'm not. Is like I, I've 
read The Hobbit and know The Lord of the Rings, but my buddy was running me through this, and I'm like, that's bonkers to think that someone can come up with that whole thing so detailed. Like, I wish I had that amount of attention and 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 focus on anything <laughs> ever. <laughs> so when this comes to, like, a live setting, what are some, like, kind of, because it is such a layered heavy layered heavy music and um textured based and i know live it's never going to be that you know it's always going to be what you're going to get live and that makes that experience important but um when it comes to doing it live or performing live is there things that have informed what rec- what went down on wax what was recorded mm-hmm. or Working through performing, did you find like a way to better portray it without certain things? Has that been a factor, or, or is this just kind of like a record project? I know I gave you like one question with like an A, B, C, and D answer, and you can say E all above. That's fine. <laughs> uh, so I would say our inability to play it live has definitely not stopped us from putting it on wax, um, and now we're we're ruining the results of that. Um, <laughs> But but no, yeah, a lot of it is just really hard to do live or, you know, we essentially can't do it live. But um, I I think in the last few months, we've we've really started committing ourselves to, okay, how, how are we going to actually do this um, with just two guys live? And I think that was always, um, you know, the assumption that it, it would still be a duo, duo thing. And, you know, to speak of influence, I think I think one of the biggest ones for Matt um, and me both is is kind of that wave of you know kraut rock as they'd call it in like the 70s, um, but a lot of that sort of hanging on a drone, hanging on the same beat, um, and I think some of the stuff on the record um, or on or on the first record, there's a song called A Season for High Splendor, for instance, um, that's super loop heavy, super almost just running one note into the ground. Um, that's the kind of stuff that I think we've we've kind of really found a a nice uh, a nice application live. That that's that's the stuff that's a little bit more doable than the uh, you know the all the the trumpets and all the cellos and, and all these <laughs> time signature changes that that kind of thing. But um, but yeah, I think I think trying to I think trying to do a sort of duo, almost like two uh, like electronic DJs playing like orchestral music. That's kind of our, kind of our live pitch And it. Uh, yeah, I guess we'll see our first, our first show is kind of in a couple of weeks. So we'll, we'll see how it all goes. Like, uh, so how is it loop heavy? Are you guys looping a lot of stuff live or is it just, or, or is that just a recording or is that going to be implemented? Oh, we're loopy. Yeah. yeah loopy. <laughs> we are loopy. Loopy. Nice. Yeah. Um, but I think it's a lot of, I was going to say a lot of loops that aren't necessarily maybe touchstones of other loop heavy music. Like I always really dug, um, not that I have anything against, you know, house music or, or hip hop. I, I like a lot of that stuff too, but I think, you know, it's a lot of like looping little, um, little like weird worldy sounding instruments or, um, little bells or little crackles and almost kind of taking like found sounds and looping those. I think that's uh, definitely something that we've tried to do a lot for, for the live applications. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how, how it continues to morph. Gotcha. Do, uh, um, w- first off, where's the gig? Let's plug the gig while we're on, on the topic <laughs> of the gig. Yeah, so it's a uh, it's a private gig, so uh, don't don't ask us. No. Um, <laughs> Sorry, homies, if you're if you listening, have, don't if, show up. If you have to ask, you're already not admitted. Um, Got him. <laughs> no, we're doing a, we're doing a little uh, we're doing a little release party at uh, at my house. Um, cool, cool, cool. And uh, yeah, it's it's sort of a a, a first trial. Uh, you know, how's this thing going to go live? And then we also um, did a music video in the past couple months. Um, so we'll, we'll air that too. It'll be kind of a, uh, you know, a house party meets music video screening. Gotcha. Um, yeah, it should be fun. Nice. Nice. And, uh, when's the record come out for everyone listening? November 10th. November 10th. 
So, uh, and just like the date, if I had to rate this record, it'd be an 11 out of 10. Ba-boom. <laughs> it goes to 11. Are you guys in the no wave? So I like, yeah. Yeah? Who do you dig? Yeah, we were, I was like, I like Lydia Lunch a lot. Nice. Um, and then, uh, what's his name? Gary. He's guy plays sax. I always forget his band name now. It's like. That's not coming to. Because I just did a whole, like, because you're out of Canton, right? Well, oh. now, but yeah, I'm from Canton. It's a buzzbin. Yeah. They had James Chance and the Contortions. That's what I was thinking. Nice. Thank you. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then like uh, Glenn, uh, I mean, Glenn Bronca, that would be mm-hmm. No Wave for sure. I mean, Definitely. even Sonic Youth yeah, yeah. to yeah. an extent, right? Well, yeah. That'd be like the, the yeah, next totally. gen. You know, that's where. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because Lydia yeah, Lunch uh, was just at a um, in Canton. Buzzbin. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Was it? Uh, I, did I didn't it. get a go. Which it was dope. You missed out. Really? I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. I did. A, I did a talk with her a little bit before, and uh, and then another uh-huh. one with her guitar player, and like um, so I've been like very no wave mindset lately, and uh, also kind of going off the vibe I got from you guys. That's why I threw that out there. And you dropped Brian Eno. And the contortions are sweet. <laughs> like, <laughs> nice. That's why I get when I hear them, but they're dope. Um, <laughs> all right, cool. Well, you know what? I think that's a. Anything else we need to plug here at the end? Anything like the record drops on the on the tenth of November. There's a show that huh? none of you listening can go to, and that means you, <laughs> Cody. Um, especially not Cody. No, especially not Cody. He's not going to that show. Uh, I would say, you know, basic social media stuff. You know, we're on Twitter, uh, Reese McDonald, uh, Facebook, look us up. And hopefully we'll have live shows that the public is invited to coming up. Yeah, if you, um, what's the over under? Yeah, uh, yeah, thank you, man. We really appreciate it. All right, cool. Nice to meet you guys. Look forward to seeing you in my life. And uh, take care. And I'll, I'll, uh, Sam, I'll send you all this soon.